Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's final Merry Clashmas holiday season countdown. In the red corner, irresponsible parenting as Kevin McAllister is left all by himself by his preoccupied family as they jet off to spend Christmas in Paris. Thankfully, Kevin is a resourceful little tyke who can shop for himself, use aftershave hilariously and permanently maim would-be home invaders. From 1990, it's Home Alone. Where are you going? We're going to miss the plane! When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the plane? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. I've had a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Kevin! <laughs> While in the blue corner, how can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Is what Kevin should say. Except it's not the same shit, really, because this time Kevin is blissfully aware that his family are in Miami, but rather than tell them where he is, he hot-foots it to NYC with Dad's credit cards and holes up at the Plaza Hotel. Lucky shit. From 1992, it's Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. My family's in Florida and I'm in New York. Funnily enough, we... Never lose our luggage. <laughs> Once again, the family that loves staying together. Can I help you? Reservation from McAllister? Couldn't be further apart. He's in New York. New York? This is a vacation. Only two things could ruin this vacation. And they just hit town. Hiya, pal. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's our final Merry Clashmas holiday season countdown. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Putters. I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing on my ass. I'm Alex Zane. (laughs) I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Merry Clashmas, both of you. 
Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So five days to go until Christmas. Excited. I know we all know you love Christmas, Victoria. Are you excited? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yep. Super excited. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, staying away from Christmas trees. Uh, only the real ones. Yeah. Fake ones. I'm all over. Can you not go to someone's house who has a real Christmas tree? Yeah, I think it's just in my living room for two weeks. I (laughs) stop breathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's terrible. You don't don't want that. I've got something though to perk us up. Oh, have you? Yeah, especially you. Oh no, I know what this is. You do know what it is. I don't want it, do I? You don't want it. Ross, you're gonna have a go for it. Here it comes. What is it? No. How do you know and I don't? Because there's only one thing I want. Oh, look at Alex. (laughs) Oh my god, this is a homemade snowball. (laughs) What is a snowball? It's avocado lemonade. Vicky, would you like a homemade snowball? I, I'm telling you, I can't drink it. I love the fact it's in a plastic Well, good job. Bottle. I bought you something that wasn't oh, a snowball, because I know you don't like them. A passion fruit martini. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. Why did it pop off like that? That makes because me worry. Because it's ex- get, get your mouth over it. Get your mouth over it. <laughs> Said the That's the lemonade. That's the lemonade. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, thank you so much. This is dead air. Talk while we're, we're stopping this. Okay, thank you for not making me drink that poison. Oh, hello. That's delicious. How can you not like that? No, aren't you just thrilled that there's one thing I won't drink? Like, isn't I mean, that good amazing. for me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just be happy for me. I, I didn't want you to go without as it's Christmas. Oh, so. thank you. I would have been so jealous. Hello, mother. It's waking you up now, isn't <laughs> That's it? That's nice. That's a change of pace. Oh, it says shake. I forgot to shake it. Do you hey, think it's still going to be all right? I tell you what, something way more boring. What? I did manage to get a delivery slot. Did you? Mm, oh, yeah. good for you. From yeah. the little Tesco's? <laughs> not from the little Tesco's, but you put the fear of God in to me last yeah. week after you said after you said I've got one and you've got no chance. You're welcome. Twenty first. Twenty first. See now, listen. I wanted not to upset you. They sent me veg that was going off, so it didn't make it to Christmas Day. I was livid. What? Yeah, twenty first. The parsnips were not good. Oh, don't tell me that. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <sighs> Just be mindful. But you're all right. You can nip out to the village as you yeah, do. Well, I will. I will. But that yeah. would be, that's disappointing. Can they really? They shouldn't be able to. And I'm to telling send you, this is one Christmas that's I was bad. feeling feeling wealthy, and it was from Waitrose. Come on, guys. This better. is getting really boring. <laughs> all right. All right. We're talking about off parsnips, Chris. That's a classic Christmas conversation. Right then, the clue Victoria gave last week was. It was too easy. Move on. <laughs> It was, there's no place like an empty nest, just ask the pigeons. <laughs> Correct. Uh, Chris, follow that up on Twitter with... Uh, a single portion of curry. Yeah, single portion of curry. So we're on Twitter at ClashPod. Also on Instagram at ClashPod and the guesses were left all by themselves until now. We're back, guessers. Matt says Home Alone versus Home Alone 2 next week. He's in number three position. Camillo's getting in early, he says. Not early enough, though. He's only number two with his guess of Home Alone versus Home Alone 2. But at 6 a.m. on the Monday morning, the episode with the first clue went live. Even pigeons should be able to celebrate the holidays. So Home Alone versus Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Merry Clashmas, you filthy animals. Congratulations, (laughs) Robert Farley. You... Literally have to get up pretty early to beat this guy, which is exactly what I said when he last guessed at 6 a.m. on the day of the release, which works because we're doing two identical movies. Yes, and I think this is the first the first week that no one's guessed incorrectly. No. Every single answer was right. Yeah, it was too easy, your clue, Victoria. Oh, God, all right. Sorry. It was just too easy. Uh, the correct way of doing it is one correct guess. Okay. That's how we like it. Uh, your prize, Robert. I'll tell you what I'm going to give you. 
I'm going to give you to the count of ten to get your ugly, yellow, no-good keister off my property before I fill your guts full of lead. One, two, ten! Then I'll probably add the sound effect afterwards of nice. the gunshots. You will, will, will you? you? <laughs> I didn't know you edited these yeah, shows. Will you? <laughs> Unbelievable. Apologies, Blondie. Yeah. <laughs> Blondie, could you add the gunshots <laughs> from the video? It's on YouTube. I was going to play it live, but I didn't bring my computer. Anyway, the connection section. Are we doing it? Well, I do have... I have things that happen in both films without the really obvious thing that Home Alone 2 just is the same as Home Alone mm. 1. Are you ready? Yeah. yeah. So Uncle Frank says terrible things, things that at the time I was like, oh, that's fine. But now in 2021, you can't call an eight-year-old a jerk. You can't. And you can't say to an eight-year-old, I will slap you silly, which is what he says mm. in Home Alone 2. And you can't say to an eight-year-old, if you come into the bathroom and see me naked, yeah. you'll never feel like a real man. Yeah, you can't say can't that. Say that. And you can't do what he does in a deleted scene, which is uh, pull down Kevin's trousers. No, you can't do that. Now, Uncle Frank's a wrong'un. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Quite Uncle funny, Frank. though. He's, he's, a, he's a character. <laughs> I mean, you'd enjoy him at a party, but and not also if you good, were a child. Good, like, good character. Everyone's got a dodgy Uncle Frank. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, I've got one uh, that is a sort of uh, a weird connection. Both movies feature one of the McAllister family being rude to French people. Oh, my God, I've got the same thing. Both rude to French people. Mm, yeah. But in a way that's very... No, sorry, no offence or French from the US in a way that's super kind of like American but so they don't seem to notice it but as a British person you're like oh god that's so fucking rude <laughs> it's just weird that it's anti, anti-French in both films yeah it's obviously Columbus Hughes they had some kind of axe to grind here <laughs> yeah any more? Uh, famous uh, desk attendants played by very famous people so Hope Davis is the desk attendant in Home Alone 1 and then Ali Sheedy in Home Alone 2 yeah that's good, that's good. Uh, I didn't bother doing this apart from The Grinch is on TV in both and It's a Wonderful Life is on TV in a foreign language in both of them. Isn't that is that a Chris Columbus thing though? He It's in A Wonderful Life in Gremlins too. Mm, it is. It is. Uh, Gremlins 1. <laughs> I meant Gremlins. I know. Okay, I know fine, what you meant. Fine, 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 uh, fine. The only thing I did write down other than that was the difference. There's a huge difference between the both films. Uh, Pepsi becomes Coke. Yes, that's right. Mm. Yeah. Coke really went, they wanted it for the second one and they got it. Kieran Culkin necking that Coke. Oh, yeah. Roman Roy. Yeah. <laughs> he loves some Coke. <laughs> Very good. All right, then. On Thursday, I'll be your terrible guide as we get lost in New York, which means today Chris is playing with his micro machine again. Chris, take us on a journey. Okay, I've got a bit of help for my introduction this week um, and apologise uh, for the language in advance on this one. About this, all right? It's Christmas time. It's fucking Christmas. And your whole family right. goes on vacation. Whole family. And they forget their eight-year-old fucking son. Their eight-year-old son. All by yourself in the house for a week. And I'm, I'm really sorry, man. I, I did not mean to uh, upset you. I defend off my house from two psychopath home invaders. <laughs> That's really terrible. I was just a kid. I mean, I still have nightmares about, like... This bald weirdo dude chasing me around, talking like Yosemite Sam. I'm gonna pull your fingernails out. I'm gonna get you, you little scam. They don't even curse. Calling me like louse and shit like that. It's wow. I don't even know. Yeah, no, I I, I understand. They remembered my bastard of a brother, you know. <laughs> but they forget me, you know, the cutest fucking eight-year-old in the universe. 
by far. And your mom, she didn't try to save you or come back or anything? She didn't care, man. She was too busy being like a groupie to a polka band or something like that. I've never even gotten the whole story. It's just that my house was such a fucking zoo, I couldn't even eat a slice of pizza without having to go to war or something like that. It was... Your mom sounds like a real cunt, man. <laughs> I've seen that video. Have you seen that video? No. Uh, it's Macaulay Culkin uh, in a video called Just Me in the House by Myself, uh, a YouTube uh, thing he did uh, six years ago. Okay. Very funny. Very funny. So uh, that was that's the story of Home Alone. Uh, let's do a little bit of history on it. Um, I've got some help here from James Hughes as well, uh, who is the son of John Hughes who wrote about this movie in Chicago Magazine in 2015. And he says, On August the 8th, 1989, my father, John Hughes, jotted down in a notebook a movie idea born of traveller's anxiety that occurred to him during the bustle of departing for our first family trip to Europe. Two weeks later, after returning home, he revisited the premise. What if one of the kids had been accidentally left behind? Over the next nine days, he completed the first draft of Home Alone, capped by an eight-hour, 44-page dash to the finale. So that's how this all began. Mm. Um, and then Christopher Columbus got involved uh, because Hughes wasn't directing at the time. And it's quite a strange story, that one. He was friends with John Hughes and he desperately needed a hit because he just had a huge flop called Heartbreak Hotel. He thought his career was over. Uh, Hughes got him to direct National Lampoon's Vacation, Christmas mm. Vacation rather. And that did not go well, did it, Alex? It did not go well, no. Him and Chevy Chase did no get on. He's an impossible human being, uh, Christopher Columbus said. Elsewhere, he said he was an arsehole. He said he didn't want to hear my ideas. He didn't even want to talk to me. That was his director. Mm. <laughs> he said he treated him like dirt. Yes, and he said, I just couldn't make a picture with him. It'd be like making a film with Donald Trump, which is a strange thing for Columbus to say. <laughs> we'll get to that on Thursday. Yeah. Um, so he walked off that project. He thought his career was over, but bless him, two weeks later, John Hughes sent him two scripts, one of which was Home Alone. He said, it's, he's basically responsible for me for continuing to work as a director today. So Columbus uh, loved it, but wanted to do a pass on the script. He did that. He said he tweaked the, search scene, the, the church scene. He, he wanted to set up the ending uh, better than it was in Hughes' version. Sent it back to Hughes. Hughes rewrote it. And they went back and forth until they thought the script was ready. Mm. And then Warner Brothers agreed to finance it. I'm confused. It's weird, that church scene. Because I read an interview with Columbus where he said that church scene was amazing. And we filmed that exactly as Hughes wrote it but it was the ending with old man Marley meeting his family again he said he wanted that to uh -huh. have more of an emotional impact mm -hmm. well this article he said he tweaked the church scene, okay so. Um, so they said they'd do it for 10 million dollars and Columbus got to work in a school near Chicago which became the location for the movie, uh, for the in, the interiors. It's abandoned now, but you know, that's the same school that they used in Ferris Bueller mm. and Uncle Buck. Mm. Oh. Um, but that became their back lot, their production office. They built the house in the gym. Uh, they built a, uh, the basement over a swimming pool in there. Uh, the internals, they painted everything red and green. Even the phone is green. And that started shooting the budget up. So the budget rose to 14.7 million. And that is the point at which Warner Brothers shut the picture down and said, Sent everyone home. <laughs> Big mistake because uh, John Hughes had been meeting with Fox 
Uh, Joe Roth at Fox is quoted here. Um, he was having lunch with Hughes and Columbus's agent and he was told that Home Alone was costing 14.7 million and Warners would only pay 14 million. He said, what's the idea? They told me, he said, OK, if you can get it out of there, I will make it. He said, it seemed like a no brainer. It didn't cost much. I didn't have a Thanksgiving movie. I liked the idea and I loved the people involved. So you ended up with this crazy situation where someone from Warner was going from department to department in this school telling everyone the film is over, pack up your stuff and go home. And then straight after that, someone from Fox is going from apartment <laughs> to apartment saying, get your stuff unpacked, keep going. And they ended up not losing a single day of pre-production. All they did was change the payroll hmm. on one day. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so a bit of casting. Obviously, uh, John Hughes had worked with Macaulay Culkin on Uncle Buck. And Columbus said, I think John knew all along he wanted Macaulay in the movie. I thought he was great, but I owed myself to myself as a director to see other child actors. So he saw 200 other kids only to decide mm. that Macaulay Culkin was obviously the right person for the role. Um, in terms of the robbers, John Lovitz and Robert De Niro were considered for Harry, but this is a strange quote from Columbus. He said, Joe Pesci's came up in one of many late night meetings until five in the morning with John. We knew he could do comedy from Raging Bull. <laughs> now, if you've ever seen Raging Bull, I mean, I guess he's funny in it. Yeah. But it's it's more frightening. Yeah. yeah. He's more a terrifying human being in that. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. So uh, Joe Pesci got the role. Um, Daniel Stern's an interesting one um, playing Marv. He was offered the role and money for a six week shoot. Um, he accepted it. And then the schedule increased to eight weeks. So he asked for more money for the extra two weeks and they replaced him with a different actor. <laughs> yes, uh, an actor called Daniel Roebuck uh, was cast in the role. Right. So um, Columbus said, when we did the first screen test, there was absolutely no chemistry between Daniel Roebuck and Joe. So unfortunately, we had to let him go. I begged the studio to get me Daniel Stern. They agreed to pay him uh, and, uh, the, and they immediately hit it off and had intense chemistry. So uh, he was cast in the role and Stern said, what an idiot I was to almost let that one get away. Did I they mean, pay him the... I mean... Yeah, I mean, he's working more. I mean, I asked <laughs> yeah, for no, more they, money if yes, I work more. <laughs> yes, they paid him basically what he was deserved, what, yeah. he, what he was owed. I guess at the time, though, they were having this issue with the budget, and so... Yeah. 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 So I mean, but there's plenty... I mean, stop painting all the phones green or whatever. Stop filling in Would, swimming pools. Wouldn't be the same film. We're having some issues with the budget, so yeah. we're going to not pay you Is for that two okay? weeks. <laughs> yeah. um, Chris Farley auditioned for the Santa Claus role. Oh, okay. But he they put it, he wasn't in good shape when he came in for the audition. He'd no. been out all night and it was on a Saturday morning. Oh. So um, they said, he said, uh, Columbus said he came in and I don't think he'd gone to sleep that night. So the audition did not go particularly well. I regret it. I think he would have been great in the film, but I do love the guy who played Santa Claus. And I think the other important uh, people to talk about are the stuntmen. Um, integral to the stunt work was a chap called Troy Brown, who was a former professional bull rider. Wow. Doubled for Joe Pesci. Um, so this is a weird story. Uh, I found out about the background here. Uh, Freddie Heiss, who, who was in charge of the stunt, said um, of, of this guy, Troy Brown, he's a little too tall, a little too heavy. But when we got to Chicago, I asked the costume department to make his coat a little bit longer so Troy can bend his knees. After Troy had done a couple of huge falls, Chris Columbus walked over and goes, OK, Troy, you can stand up now. We thought we were so clever about it, but Chris never bought into it. So they essentially put him on his knees. And made him do stunts. Uh, they made him kneel on a pair of shoes and do stunts. And they thought they'd get away with it. I just don't understand. That's only what happens in cartoons, surely. I mean, I guess this is a cartoon. 
Um, and another bit of interesting background information, I think the owners of the house uh, did some interviews about this uh, a little while ago. So they were told that shooting would happen for four or five weeks and they were given an apartment. But someone told them that under the contract, if if the filmmakers needed to knock down a wall when they weren't home, they could do it. <laughs> uh, she told us the best way is if we remained on the premises. Um, but it didn't take four to five weeks. Uh, it lasted for five and a half months. Wow. And what they did is there was a master bedroom suite with four rooms off the side of it. So they moved into that for five months and they were like cooking in the bedroom and they lived there. So this film was being shot while a whole family were living in the house, <laughs> sort of hidden away, uh, which is quite strange. But shooting started on Valentine's Day in 1990, 89 even. Or is it 90? No, it's 90. Yeah. And that's, that's all I've got on background, to be honest. I just messed up the last bit. Uh, the only addition I have is that uh, Joe Pesci uh, was quite angry with having a 7 a.m. call time every day for the movie because he liked to get in nine holes of golf before he started shooting. And so they moved it to 9 a.m. Wow. For morning him. golf. Yeah, morning golf. How odd. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he, he also, he, um, he, Apparently he adds fuck to every script, every three words is what he does. And that's what he did here. And they said, you can't do that, Joe. It's a kid's <laughs> Not in this one. But if you've ever seen him on a talk show back when he would do interviews, I mean, the guy just can't stop swearing. It's like Sean Ryder on chat shows in England. Yeah. You just can't have Joe Pesci on because he will not stop swearing. <laughs> well, that's why that's why TFI Friday ended up with a, a delay because of Sean Ryder. Yeah. And getting taken off air, ultimately. Mm. Well done, Sean. All right, let's get into this film. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. So, Act One, family drama. So, we start with this iconic music. Um, I think it's a genuinely great John Williams score. He came at the last minute and transformed the movie. Roger Gosnell, the, the editor, said the movie went from an 8 to a 28 when, the, when John Williams got involved. We had a little movie starring kids that worked before. When John Williams got involved, it became a classic. Do you like the music? Oh, my God. I can't even believe you're asking me. I love this mm. music so much. I thought until this week, you know, um, what's it called? Carol of the Bells. That I thought he wrote it because I was like, John Williams is so good. I was like, that is really brilliant. Uh, but he didn't. Do you want to know what it's based on? I fucking love that song. So it's from a Ukrainian New Year folk chant. And the chant is an ostinato, the four note pattern. And that is meant to originate from prehistoric times in the minor third. Isn't that interesting? And so he reworked it and he took some lyrics from another person from the sort of 1910s. But I genuinely thought he wrote the melody, everything. I mean, you say, so you say reworked it. Also, he's reworking a lot of his Star Wars themes as part yeah. of this. And a lot of this gets used in Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you play certain aspects of, of this Star Wars and Potter next to each other, you can see he's just variations on a theme. But it works. There's sort of, there's equally different memorable sections of the score. Yeah. It's very hummable. And as soon as you hear it, it feels like Christmas. Yeah. So job done. Then we've got the title come up. That's a great title for a film. It is good, yeah. It's a really good title. And I like the title treatment because it's all capitals apart from the final E, which is a little a little lower case E yeah. that's on its side. So it's little Kevin who doesn't quite fit in. Yeah, it's sad E. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Christmas chaos because they're packing for a trip, the McAllisters are, to Paris. Um, they're running around the house while the first person we see is our villain, Harry, played by Joe Pesci. I forgot he was a pretend 
please. I, th- I knew, no, I've seen this film, I would say, maybe 100,000 times. I forgot that he was a pretend cop and he, he stands in their house for absolutely ages. Mm-hmm. It's quite menacing. I mean, I suppose it's meant to be, but I just forgot he was there. I just thought he popped up and he'd just been like casing the neighbourhood. Yeah. But yeah. It's even longer in that there's there's a bunch of deleted scenes from this sequence where one of them I particularly like is where he starts chatting to the pizza guy and asks him if he lives near here. And the pizza kid, kid goes, oh, just round there. And so he's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's going there next. Um, I love the little Nero's pizza guy. I think he's so good. Mm. So good. And he got paid more than John Candy. Did he? I'll be getting to that. Mm. Um, but then we meet Kevin. Uh, we start, uh, Kevin wants to watch a grown-up movie. And it sort of sets him up from the off that he wants to be older than mm. he is. And we're looking at the world from his point of view in these early scenes. And he's shot from above to make himself him look smaller and helpless. It does a really good job of setting up a lot of stuff early on that is going to come back later. It's incredibly economical. So you've got the micro-machines. We learn that micro-machines. We learn that he's making ornaments out of fish hooks, so he's quite creative he's with building things. He's using the glue gun in yeah. the garage. Yeah, um, they tell him to feed Buzz's... Sp- they need to feed Buzz's spider. Uh, he's told about old man Marley, the shovel slayer. All in the space of about two minutes. He's completely hopeless. Everyone has to do everything for yeah. you. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so yeah, all the all the all the setups there. We meet Fuller, uh, who Alex mentioned, who's downing Pepsi, which doesn't really go anywhere. But I, it is funny to think that Fuller could grow up to be Roman. <laughs> is it? Yeah. I can imagine Roman pissing the bed as well. And Vicky has just started watching Succession. Finally, I've just started. Yeah, mm, very good. So I've just got fresh eyes on it. So if you want to talk about series one, which you probably don't, <laughs> <laughs> you should come to me. We'll talk, we're going to talk about the ending of series three straight up. Please this. don't. Um, I have a question here for you. Any thoughts on Uncle Frank? But I think we've already done that. It's unbelievable, isn't it? What's unbelievable is that his parents, Kevin's parents, do nothing when yeah. Uncle Frank calls him a little jerk. Yeah, and then one of his. I'm going to say cousins, calls him a disease. Yeah. You're like, this is like, and the parents just sort of stand there going, mm-hmm. mm, you are. Yeah. You spilt some milk, so you're a disease. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Different times, I guess. They're meant, they are meant to be loving parents, so. And he's a naughty boy. He calls his mum dummy. Yeah. If I called my mum dummy, she would have killed me. Mm. And rightly so. Mm. You don't call your mum a dummy. No. But, I mean, I think on the, at this point you're on Kevin's side, as in the second film as well. But both the starts, his parents do need to be a little more vocal when people treat him that mm. badly, yeah. especially close members of the family. <laughs> well, now's a good time to ask, uh, when did you first watch this film? <laughs> um, because I, you would have been exactly the same age as Kevin, I think. Yeah. You would have. I was, yeah. You were like a year older and I was a couple of years older. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, I guess we all saw this at the cinema. I think I did, yeah. Yes. And then it was uh, it was a, a granddad VHS, which is why I've seen it so many times. But I was the same age as Kevin when I watched it. Which yeah. I thought he was brilliant. And I didn't think he was cute. I thought he was representative. And then as I got a bit older, I thought he was cute. And, mm. I, and now I think he's both of those things. It's weird, isn't it, though? Because you watch this. I enjoyed this, watching it again as an adult. I loved it as a kid. But as a kid, it's like wish fulfillment. Like, yeah. it's it's like I've, I've been left on my own. I can do anything I want. Yes. But really, this is uh, an hour long build up to a half hour payoff yeah which is really just a series of like chasers and sketches there's nothing to it like i'm surprised that as an adult i still love this film i know what you mean it's because it's fun watching a kid act like an adult it's funny but he doesn't really do that that often 
Like he, he has the run of the house, so mm. that's very entertaining. And then it's fun seeing him go out and go shopping and things that's, like that. that. That's that's the best scene where he's at the checkout. Not the best scene. I'm not going to the bits already or the questions. Uh, it's it's when he really really starts talking to adults like he's an adult. Mm. That's funny, yeah. but there's not a lot of that. Um, so Kevin doesn't want to see his mum again for the rest of his whole life. Mm. And in a combination of plot and theme in one sentence, mum says you'd feel pretty bad if you wake up tomorrow morning and you don't have a family. They do really hammer home Kevin's wish because he not only says it twice, <laughs> yeah. he says it to her and she goes, <clears throat> say that again. And he says it again. And then when he's going to sleep on the bed, it's said a third time as a voiceover. Yeah, in his head. Yeah. You don't need that. It's sort of like, we, we get know, it. We, we know what it's called. He's going to be left on his own. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they go to bed, a storm knocks the power out, the phone lines are down and the family sleeps in and we get this speeded up panic journey mm. to the airport. Have you ever had to do an airport run like that? I've never heard of an airport where you can go, the plane leaves in 45 mm. minutes and we're still going to try and make it. I don't know what it was like in 1990, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure like if you're that. making an international <laughs> flight, you still have to get there a couple of hours All before. All you needed to do <clears throat> to get on a plane in 1990 was flash your Blockbuster membership card, <laughs> light a cigarette, and they'll wave you on. Did you know what? This film, I think this film, I can't prove it, but my mum always said to me, and this is one of those things where I, you know, when I say things like everyone thinks this and then you're like, we've never heard of that in our lives. Did your mum ever tell you when you were going on holiday and you were getting a taxi to the airport not to tell the taxi driver exactly which house you live in in case they were a secret burglar or they were working with burglars? So my mum always used to make me, it was only when I was a grown up because we, we never flew, but um, she used to make me promise that I wouldn't tell them the flat and that I would stand in the middle of the street and just say to the taxi driver, this is the street you'll see us. Don't worry about it. Wow. Yeah. I had a different version of that where I used to, even though when we were with our cases outside, I'd shout back through the door, <laughs> I'll see you later. We'll be back in two weeks. <laughs> you don't need to. Just say the street, yep. stand in the road. <laughs> uh, so the, the one thing you haven't mentioned is what a good job the film does of setting up the geography of the house as well at the start. Like you do get a good idea, more so than in the second film, but we'll get onto that, about where everything is. Mm-hmm. Very good. So they're on the plane. The parents are up in first class, the kids in coach. That's weird. That's unacceptable. It's understandable, but unacceptable. But it's the kind of thing when I've watched this film a million other times, I was like, of course. But now I was like, I don't think that's all right. I don't think you can say, oh, hello, uh, steward. Could you just look after all these kids for me? Thank you. <laughs> Living the dream. I hope that's possible, but I don't think it is. I think it is. Really? Mm. If you say I've got a, a first class ticket, will you do a kids club? But I, I certainly don't think... If you once you book tickets on an airline, they're not gonna then go. Um, hang on, you, you're leaving your kids back there. They're gonna be like, well, you, we can't, we can't move you yeah, from first class to what, coach. We did, we've only taken them all away once. That we went to Greece, and they did try and sit. We just because of the confusion, they tried to put one two year old at the back by himself. <laughs> so I was like, this, I don't think this is gonna work. And I was like, and also, you really want to consult with the person that you've put him next to because I don't think they're gonna be Wait, very happy. One of your kids. Yeah, yeah. They tried to move one of the twins because it was just wasn't room and it was all really confusing. And they were like, oh, there's a, there's a spare seat at the back for a child. So wait, that actually happens where, because I couldn't believe that as well. I don't know if it's this film or the second film where they go, yeah, I just find a spare seat. I'm like, who? Yeah. You have a seat on an airplane. It was, yeah, it, it was, it just couldn't, we couldn't all sit together. Oh, okay. So it was resolved because of a kind member of the public who also didn't want to look after a two-year-old for three oh, right. hours. And we're into act two, which I'm calling Home Alone. Uh, we cut to Kevin waking up and I like this stuff Sean of the Dead does a good job of this where he's kind of half awake and doesn't notice what's happening around him he's kind of blissfully unaware of his situation for quite a while um, 
They established that Kevin is scared of the basement. Again, this is one of those quite economical script writing things where it's a problem for him to overcome and a way for him to grow, but it's very simple. Yeah. Also, someone's in the burbs because when old man Marley's shoveling snow and they're peeping out of the window, that's the burbs. And the furnace thing, that's the burbs. Yeah. And also, done, done better here. It's <laughs> full of mannequins. Um, Dress dum- ba- dressmakers' dummies, yeah. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's pretty scary for a basement, but it's also like, I remember watching it this time and going, why, why on earth are they full yeah. of that? And then obviously it's because he uses them for the party later. Mm. So it's clever that it sets She's it up. Fa- the mum's a fashion designer. Is yeah. she? Oh. I don't know why I know that, though. Maybe I've read that rather than it's yeah, actually it's in the film. In the yeah, it's not explained <laughs> still why there's mannequins in the basement. Um, because you'd put your dresses on mannequins. Sure, your nice ones. <laughs> um, so his family aren't around, so he's eating popcorn while jumping on the bed mm. and isn't sleeping in the parents' big bed, the ultimate, though. He's yeah. starting to live the dream already. Yeah, I like the fact he breaks the fourth wall. That's that's that's. I like forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, it's quite good. I I I. It sort of works. It shouldn't mm. because he's sort of like he looks at you and goes, "I made my family disappear." Yeah. It's no Burt Reynolds in Smoking in the Bandit, but hey. it's pretty good. But it's it, it, he he does feel like a junior Ferris Bueller to me. Yes. In terms of talking to the a bit being a little bit obnoxious, to, breaking the fourth wall, having all these contraptions that he's built to make things happen. It feels like John Hughes is just doing Ferris Bueller Jr. Uh, he's got no interest in Playboy. That's how you handle sex in one of these films. Mm, no that... clothes on anybody is sickening. <laughs> this, this, see, this is what I like. It's it's retaining the innocence in a way that Roger Rabbit did not. Yeah. This is the grown this is the this is the grown up fantasy that I prefer more than what we were talking about with Roger Rabbit. I think it's important to maintain innocence. Okay. Um, he watches angels with filthy faces while eating a mountain of ice cream. Souls. Souls. It's a bit of a revelation when you realise this film isn't real. Because mm. <laughs> I don't know about you, I thought this was a real film when yeah, I was yeah. a kid. Yeah, it's it's done so brilliantly well, especially that guy they cast, um, who is basically Edward G. Robinson. But So that's what he watches when his parents go out. Uh, for me, this was watching Billy Connolly when my parents were out, or actually... <laughs> Getting hold of the Billy Connolly cassettes, the audio cassettes that were what? up high. The and top I couldn't shelfers, get to, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else was up there? Um, just Billy Connolly. Okay. Um, did you have something that you would stick on when the parents were out that you weren't supposed to be watching? No, they didn't have anything like that. My, my treat was like, if I got to stay up late and watch Wogan, I thought that was amazing. <laughs> the Red Shoe Diaries with David Duchovny on Bravo. <laughs> your, your dad had them taped, did he? No, no. I thought you meant when everyone was out. Okay. Like... Now. Go on, <laughs> the Red Shoe Diaries, that takes me back. <laughs> Least sexy programme of all time. Uh, he sleds down the stairs. I definitely break my neck here. Did you Did you ever sled, sled downstairs? No, but my kids do try to do it all the time. So it's just the thing that children try to do. We did it, but we did it. And we had these uh, polyester sleeping bags and... <laughs> Oof, you go fast. You pick up some speed. Oh, yeah. man, yeah. It was really dangerous. Yeah, I nearly lost one of the kids the other week because he was wearing a Gruffalo costume, 100% polyester, and sends him down a metal slide. Oh, wow. And Mark had to catch him in midair and he smashed his chin on his knee and then nearly lost a tooth. And that's because of polyester. Oh, dear. You put him down the no, slide. No, I fucking didn't. Mark did. And oh. I said, don't put him down the slide in that Gruffalo costume. And he did. And so then he nearly lost a tooth. 
I bet he was having a great time. He did, he, he loved it. He was going really fast. The minute I came in, he was like, Mummy, guess what? I nearly lost a tooth. And I was like, did you bring down that fucking slide? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we we meet Harry and Marv uh, together now and, and, and uh, Kevin fools them into thinking he's in. He's a very clever boy, isn't he? But he's scared of them as well at this point and he runs upstairs and hides under the bed. And then he gets frightened of Marley as well. Um, so he's, he's, he's seeming more helpless than he will uh, be later in the movie at this point. Yeah. I also love the expression, the silver tuna. Who says that? Harry. Why? They talk about the McAllister's house being oh, yeah. their silver tuna. What does it mean? Just a, a it good means catch. The best, the best thing. Yeah, okay. the big one. Right. Yeah. They also sing in a deleted scene. Would you like to hear Harry and Marv sing? Yes. <laughs> oh, you better watch out. You better not hide. If your doors are open, we're coming inside. Harry and Marv are coming to town. We know when you're out dancing. We know just what to take. We know where all the money's hid. So come on, give us a break. Oh, <laughs> adorable. I wish I hadn't cut that. Um, the parents realise what's going on. Uh, Her Kevin, Catherine O'Hara's Kevin is great. Kevin! <laughs> so good. Uh, another airport run. They hit the phones. Uh, we hear the title uh, said by a character for the first time. Um, and apparently nobody can get hold of anybody to check on Kevin. <laughs> you <laughs> have live to... on a street where everyone goes away for yeah. Christmas. You have to suspend your disbelief quite a lot in mm. this film. And that's one of those moments where you're just like, I guess they've got to spin through this. But yeah, no one's buying that when you think about it. And you mentioned Hope Davis as the French ticket agent. Mm. She's We've done quite a few Hope Davis shows. We have. What was that? Billy Baldwin's fiancé in Flatliners. Yeah. Jeff Bridges' girlfriend in Arlington Road. Yes. And the woman who tries to kidnap the kid in Greenland. Is that her? Mm. Is it? Of course it is. Mm. God, I forgot about that film. I blocked that out. Uh, They find a policeman to go and check on him via Officer Balzac, which is a joke I hadn't noticed until this time. (laughs) Do you know who that is? Because I was looking at his face going, I know. That's the violinist from Ghostbusters. (laughs) (laughs) It's Mr. Heckles from Friends. The guy who lives below Monica's apartment. Of course it is. Mm. Of course. Yeah. The fact that, and it must have been an accident, the bit of the donut that he's eating that just lands on the receiver of the phone. (laughs) Magical. (laughs) Um, So as you said, uh, Hope Davis can't find them a flight, so mum decides to wait at the airport on standby. Yeah, I'm suspicious of this, because mum has to do her penance, and at the end of the film, she gets back at the same time she would have done if she hadn't done her penance and whatever. So she's like, don't worry, I'll stay at the airport. It's like, that to me seems like a bit of a break, if I'm being honest. Like, I'll stay here by myself with some peace and quiet while you take all these horrible children wherever you're going to go. I've got vending machines. I've got people to talk to. It's warm. It's fine. That to me seems like a holiday. That seems like something that's very you. <laughs> <laughs> that seems very specific to you. <laughs> what, like in a vending machine? <laughs> yeah. Vending machines, people who aren't your family to talk to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dreamy, 24-hour bar. We, Seems he, all right. Peter, her husband, does seem pretty chill about everything. Yeah, he does. Well, he's not much well, of a character, I don't think. He's not much no. of a dad. Like He doesn't seem that bothered. They, they have a deleted scene of him with the daughter, which is his big dramatic moment, but it really doesn't go anywhere. I can see why they cut that out. But yeah, yeah it's all about mum. And I think some of the stuff with mum was added based on Catherine O'Hara's 
feelings as well. She said, if I'm if this mum's going to be believable and I'm going to play her, she needs to do more. Yeah. She needs to be more involved she because has no to mum. Be, I mean, I mean this lightly, but she has to be punished for what she did, which is forget her child. And it's the 90s, so that's all her fault and not the dad's fault in any way. So she has to do penance, basically. Hmm. Um, my family once got split up at the airport. Really? Which is most enjoyable. Yeah, we got to the airport. We're going through uh, passport check. And me and my brother were, were kids at the time, sort of nine, ten. And uh, they forgot to check my brother's passport and it had expired. So Pete couldn't travel. And so we had a bit of a family meeting and Pete and dad went home while me and mum went on a holiday. No. <laughs> yeah. Where did you go? We were going to the Caribbean. No, you weren't. <laughs> oh, my, oh my God. God. I mean, I was sad, but also I was finding it very funny watching, saying goodbye to my brother. <laughs> and they, they followed us, you know, they followed us two days later. They had to go home, sort out his passport and then get another flight. But it was like, well, do we all not go? And I was like, yeah, that would seem a waste. <laughs> you sort out a new passport in two days? Yeah. He, wow. he, he got it done on it. You know, this was a long time ago now, and um, it they was in trouble. him out there. Those yeah. first couple of nights were quite funny. <laughs> we were like, me and mum were like, this is sad they're not here, but. We're having a nice time. It's also time. brilliant. <laughs> um, now we get the iconic aftershave moment. So aftershave, I'd kind of forgotten. What does he meant to hurt? What is aftershave? It can this sting. Is, this is a really good question because he hasn't shaved. So aftershave exactly. stings because you've just opened the pores on your face. Exactly. And what is it for? To make aftershave. your cheeks smell nice? Yes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like perfume, but for men. For mm. your face? Yes. Okay. What for your, for your, your face... If you shave off all your facial hair, does your face smell bad? I don't understand. Why yes, do you not put yes. it on your neck? Like, no, like. But, but the bottom of hairs smell rancid, so <laughs> you have to use aftershave. No, you mean like the roots of the hair. Yeah. It smells gross. Mm. And so that scent is still on you. It's still in the pores, yeah. It's yeah. seeping out. And it's horrid. There is, I don't think if you're a child and you put aftershave on, it stings. Okay. No. Although apparently this was all Macaulay Culkin. Like, uh, it, well, wasn't... Him, it was him being stupid. Yeah, it wasn't written like that. He didn't he was meant to He was meant to slap his face yeah. and take his hands off. He was supposed but... to slap his face three times and take his hands away and then scream. Yeah, but he decided to keep his hands stuck to his face, which becomes the iconic image of Home Alone. He didn't well, understand what was being asked of him. And Columbus said, I thought it was such a kid thing to do, to do it wrong. Yeah. But I, I kept it in and history was made. Um, is, the, is this a subtle comment on consumerism that he loves TV? He, he's watching adverts earlier on in the film. He's picking up stuff that he's seen in the adverts from the supermarket and he's doing all the things that he's seeing in adverts being done. Mm. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I didn't pick up on it. Because it's like he's doing an infomercial when he's talking to the mirror at that point. Um, so uh, we get. Oh, no, let's have a quick break and then I'll come back with some very brief, boring plot stuff. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. We're Not Fucking Historians is the show all about Irish history, where Shane Todd and Hazel Hayes bring you a few facts and plenty of crack. This month saw their most important episode yet, the history of Ireland's favourite multi-beverage. That's where he's got the brewery, St. James's Gate. He took out a nine... Thousand year lease in the year ten thousand. That's going to be a sad day for Guinness when they're booted out. Ten thousand seven five fifty nine AD. Heineken just come in and finally we've got it. <laughs> on Tuesday, they're reflecting on their own festive traditions and a few things you might not know about the Emerald Isles Christmas connections. There is apparently mounting evidence that Saint Nicholas of Myra, who inspired the legend of Santa, is buried in County Kilkenny. It's actually on private land. <laughs> They don't allow visitors. Don't, I don't think it's a great one to sell the kids. Can we go to Disneyland? <laughs> no, come on, I'll take you to where Santa's buried. <laughs> so come on in and get involved. Search We're Not Historians. That's We're Not Historians wherever you get your podcasts. We're Not Fucking Historians is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Okay, and we're back, and there's some plot stuff here. So he falls trying to get to a board game. He finds some money. He frees the spider, <laughs> just spinning wheels, getting stuff going. Uh, on the answer machine, another house. Uh, Harry and Marv realise that the McAllisters are away. Um, he steals a toothbrush and gets chased. Um, yeah, this is what I meant when I said earlier. It's just a series of sort of silly sketches and chases. Like, that chases. A pointless exercise. It's just so we can see a kid skid over a frozen lake on his knees. Yeah, you're right. Which is very enjoyable. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> when I was eight. I think, is it saying, I don't I'm trying to be a bit high-minded. He he gets all that money and the first thing he does is buys a toothbrush. And so the film is saying he's actually a very responsible yeah. child because think, he could have bought anything. I think so. And he's even asking if the toothbrush is up to standard. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he comes face to face with the self-styled wet bandits at this point because they nearly hit Kevin with their car. And Kevin recognises Harry's tooth. Um, I, I like the fact they're in a plumbing and heating van. He's scared of the furnace in the basement. Is that all connected, do you think? This is his fear brought to life? Maybe not. Maybe I'm reaching. Um, and so they come round to the house and he has a fake party with mannequins and a cardboard cutout of Michael Jordan attached to a toy train. <laughs> this is pretty ingenious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's from Ferris Bueller. <laughs> but it's pretty ingenious. 
Um, the Nero's pizza guy arrives again um, and he delivers his pizza to some gangster dialogue again it's ingenious from the youngster mm. I don't like it's a, I've, the first time I've ever not liked this scene but the pizza guy's a good guy isn't he? he hasn't done anything yeah, wrong yeah he's cruel he's cruel to him he's really mean to him and I don't know why because because he, he doesn't have any Oh, actually, he does have money to pay him. Yeah, he's going to do it. He's just yeah. taunting him. I think we've we established that he likes hurting people. Right, okay. <laughs> Is that what yeah, he's responsible, what but he's also evil. Okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Mum gets a ticket from a lady at the airport. Now, did you recognise her, Alex? That's one for you. Oh, that my sweet God. little old lady. She's recognisable, isn't she? You yeah. might not be able to immediately get it, but you'll know the film because we talk about it a lot, you and I do. Tell me. Her character is called Mrs. Feldman. And the film is called Citizens on Patrol. Oh, <laughs> my God, yes. She's in Police Academy 4. Oh, my God, of course. We should do that sometime. I've got no justification for it, but... Yeah. It's not as good as Police Academy 5 as Simon at Miami Beach. That is so <laughs> I, underrated. I think it's better. Um, so, uh, he, we have the shopping sequence where he even buys some Tide yep. for, for his cleaning. Um he asks questions of the ladies buying toy soldiers for his kids. He's got a coupon for the juice. <laughs> I feel like the back and forth here is very much like his character in Uncle Buck going back and forth with John Candy. I think they wanted a scene where he talks quickly mm. to someone because uh, that's what he's good at. And he's doing washing in his basement, so he's overcome his fear of the furnace. Mum makes her way to Scranton where she meets Gus Polinsky, the polka king of the Midwest. <laughs> he's so good. Yeah, he is. He's uh, so Good. As played by John Candy. For $414 is what he got paid for this film. <laughs> really? Mm. He got paid $86 less than the kid who played the pizza delivery boy. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, he, he did. Uh, they they sang Polka, 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 Kiss Me Polka and the Polka <laughs> Twist. <laughs> but he just kind you know, I guess, I guess they decided we need someone who exudes kindness. Yeah. Get Candy on the but phone. But he improvised all that. By all accounts, 90% of what he did, because they only had him for a day, because he did it as a favour to John Hughes, and uh, he improvised most of it. Yeah, it's more the stuff coming later, which I will get to. But yeah, 23 hours they had him for, and he absolutely nails it. They got a bargain, I think it's fair to say. Mm. Um, Harry and Marv finally realise that <laughs> Kevin's home alone. Uh, someone else says it. Um, and Kevin hears their plan to come back at nine o'clock when it's dark and he's scared. I do think the fake Santa that he goes to see in the park, the guy dressed as Santa, is quite good. Mm. Do you know who he is? No. Max. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, Ken Hudson Campbell, who was uh, one of the oil drillers in Armageddon. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. And you'll remember this one. He's the man in hall in Groundhog Day. Mm. The guy who's like... I can't remember. Yeah, what the, the bed and breakfast. Yeah, yeah. the guy he keeps oh, bumping into. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's him. Oh, okay. But when Kevin says to him, instead of presents, I want my family back, he seems quite chill about that information mm. that this kid <laughs> doesn't have a family. Uh, I feel like he should be concerned, but instead he gives him tic tacs. Mm. Uh, Kevin stops by a church on his way home and this is sort of the calm before the storm slash that dark night of the soul that we need. Uh, the choir singing Oh Holy Night and he sees Marley. I'd never thought about the fact that he's called Marley. Really? It's a very Christmassy name, isn't You're it? You're very silly. Um, <laughs> uh, I always found this scene boring when I was a kid. Oh my God, I've uh, always loved it. And, and, really and it's obviously so lovely as a grown-up and it's so important narratively as well. And it's sweet. He talks to Kevin like he's an adult and Kevin replies like one. 
Yeah, and it's not jarring. And the the, the writing is just I was I always cry at this, but the fact that he, Marley looks really scary and then he speaks and his voice is really warm. And you're like, oh, he's not scary. Anyone singing carols at any point always makes me cry anyway because I really like Christmas and I like Christmas carols. And when he's like, family is complicated and you're like, oh my God, I know. Like, And it's good that when Kevin's like, oh, I think you should do this. I think you should do this. It doesn't come across as patronising. Yeah. Or, I mean, I also remember reading Mad Magazine at the time, uh, which would do spoofs of movies. And I've never forgotten the Home Alone one that they did um, when they do this scene in a comic panel. Uh, Marley says, I'm lonely. And Kevin says, why? And he says, because I haven't spoken to my son in years. And Kevin says, why? And he says, he doesn't like me. Kevin says, why? He says, "Uh, why don't you just call him? And he says, gee, I never thought of that. And Kevin says, maybe he doesn't like you because you're stupid. <laughs> and now I can't watch that scene because that's kind of how it plays. Um, but they shake hands. I feel like Marley should invite him over. I, sorry, I feel like Kevin should invite Marley over at this point. Yeah, but Marley, there's a few things coming up where the, I think the structure of this film is like, you, you should teach class. They probably mm. do teach classes about Swiss it. Watch. It's, it's like, a Swiss it's watch. Unbelievable. But there are a few things I noticed this time where it just starts to fall apart at the end with things that don't make mm. much sense. You mean the Agreed. fact that he should go, by the way, I'm home alone and some burglars are coming to my house. There's Could all you- of that. <laughs> yeah, but also later. So we'll, let me just do this. I won't ruin the ending. But Marley realized, Marley knows he's home alone. So he rescues him from burglars and then goes, so it's Christmas Eve. So I'm just going to shoot off and just leaves him in his house by himself on Christmas Eve, mm. having just rescued him from burglars. Uh, the police are involved by that point, though, aren't yeah, they? No, but he's still... What, the police are going to stay with him all night? And they don't. I think we should ask questions of the police. But anyway, the music <laughs> kicks in and Kevin sprints home. And I'm getting excited now because we're powering into Act 3. Mm. War. Mm. Uh, we're an hour and a quarter into the movie and the traps are being set. We've got the micro machines, water, nails, spider, glue, feathers, bauble, paint cans. Uh, we know what it's all for now, but I can remember that being a bit of a mystery. That, yeah. What's what's he doing? And yeah. it's this these series of setups that that obviously pay off brilliantly. Do the McAllisters have a dog? No. no. Do they have a dog flap? Or do no. they have a very big cat? Oh, I see, yeah. Okay, so there's a dead dog somewhere in this story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never a, noticed a it before. A dog that died off screen. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Harry and Marva right? it's Santa Claus and his elf. <laughs> They're having a good time. <laughs> they can't wait for this to get going. <laughs> uh, it, it kicks off with Harry getting shot in the balls uh, and he starts making those those cartoon noises. And the editor, um, Roger Gosnell, said, uh, cussing was kind of built into Joe Pesci's persona. It was really on him as an actor to figure out how to keep that Joe Pesci edge without using those words. So it turned into ratchet fratcheter you little. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's. I know everyone sort of says that's Yosemite Sam from Looney Tunes. It. No, it's Muttley to me. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, agreed. Uh, so Mar pokes his head in through that that cat flap, dog flap, whatever you want to call it's it, the dead dog flap. <laughs> and he smiles, and Kevin smiles back and shoots him. And then, <laughs> so funny. Then they split up. So I'll tell you what happens to Harry, and then I'll tell you what happens to Marv because we do cut between the pair of them. Uh, Harry flies off a step twice. He then grabs a boiling doorknob. He gets M burnt into his hand, Raiders of the Lost Ark style. Yep. <laughs> uh, he tries an alternate door and gets his head blow torched. <laughs> um, he smashes his way in, though. He then gets 
essentially tarred and feathered <laughs> when he walks into glue and he gets the feathers blown at him. Meanwhile, Marv falls down some stairs. He does a dance on those stairs outside, which is amazing to watch. Um, he finds the door open. He pulls on a light and a hot iron hits him in the face. Uh, there's glue on the steps. He loses his shoe and his sock and then he steps on a nail and then he breaks in through the window and steps on some baubles and then they reconnect. A lot going on there. <sighs> so good. The iron on the face is so funny it's yeah. brilliant <laughs> apparently uh, the film's production designer John Muto uh, kept telling people that they were basically doing a kid's version of Straw Dogs that wow. was his description <laughs> I, I, it was only on this watch I've only saw, saw Straw Dogs for the first time this year it would have been a good pair to go with this because <laughs> that is the ending of Straw Dogs where he's using whatever it's... is to hand and he even like the kettle and stuff is used as straw dogs. Uh, do you know the blowtorch? Have you ever heard of Pepper's Ghost? No, but that I'm technique interested. where they use uh, reflective glass. They used to do it in theatres a long time ago to make it look like a ghost was appearing on okay. stage, uh, which is why it's called Pepper's Ghost. But that's how, because they obviously didn't set fire to Joe Pesci's head. Yeah. And they couldn't use CGI in 1990 for yeah. that. So they set fire to a mannequin and then reflected the fire onto his head. Wow. Mm. That's brilliant. And Michael Will Holt, who uh, was the supervising sound editor, he said, all the pratfalls were unique. We took a frozen roast beef and hit it against the ground to get the sound of the body hitting the ground. We'd put a soldering iron onto chicken skin to make the flesh bubble and sizzle. Wow. <laughs> Everything was handmade. We wanted the sound to be realistic, but also have some humour in it. We played the sound effects big and bold as if they were part of the score. And it all works. So they're reunited. Uh, Why did you take your clothes off? Why are you dressed like a chicken? <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh every time. Why are you dressed like a chicken? Um, uh, they slip on the micro machines and then we get the paint cans. Uh, first, uh, Marv gets hit. Then Harry says, don't worry, Marv, I'll get him for you. Another paint can. <laughs> um, Kevin now calls the cops. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure why he didn't do this earlier. Again, don't ask too many questions about this plot. Marv grabs Kevin. And so Kevin puts a spider on his face. Marv's uh, scream <laughs> is the best scream in cinema history. I uh, 100% agree. It's amazing when that spider goes on his face. Yeah. yeah. Daniel Stern is so good. All right, I'll, I'll do this now. Do you want a bit more Stern? Yeah. So when... Um, when uh, Macaulay Culkin did that video that I played at the start, um, just off his own back, Daniel Stern shot one of his own. So here we go. Harry. 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 Come find me, Harry. I'm scared. The kid is back. I saw it. I saw it on the internet. The kid is coming to get us. I saw it. He's, he's coming for all the home invaders and he's going to go get us. He's coming back. I saw it. He's got blood. He was killing a guy. He was stabbing or something. He was dancing. I... No. Please, Harry, come find me. He's going to get us. Nobody believed us about this stupid death. <laughs> he hit me in the head with the brick. He ironed it. The, the bug stuff. He electrocuted me for God's sakes. He turned me inside out. Now he's coming back to get us. Please, Harry, I'm home. Alone. <laughs> Bless Daniel Stern. He just did that when he was bored. Oh, no. Who'd live with an actor? Jesus Christ. Imagine. What are you doing? Everyone's lockdown was different, I guess. But I am not into that. <laughs> 
Um, so, yeah, so we had the spider hit uh, and then Kevin takes a zip line down to his treehouse. Uh, Harry says, where'd he go? Marv says, maybe he committed suicide. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem likely, does it? <laughs> Not at this point. Um, Harry and Marv head out on the zip line. Uh, they, that gets cut and they fly into a wall. They, they feel, it feels like they're nearly dead now. <laughs> at this point um, but Kevin heads into the house across the road but Harry and Marv are waiting for him at the top of the stairs uh, they hang him on a hook which is very Texas Chainsaw Massacre like uh, but Marley saves the day as he really is pretty handy with that shovel do you not think it's a very weird threat from Joe Pesci when he goes I'm gonna bite off each of these little fingers one at a time a little bit just an odd yeah. threat a little bit like he's done it before <laughs> I think it's I think it's good and threatening though. Yeah, it's just weird. I just don't know that you know, if you're an adult man, the revenge that you're gonna take on a kid who has You should not be putting their fingers in your mouth no. under any circumstances. Moving on. Um, so uh, the wet bandits left water running wherever they were, so uh, they know each and every house they hit as they're getting arrested. Um, have yourself a merry little Christmas plays. So does Kevin know that, though? Because why does he get them arrested from a different property? It's like he knew that the house was flooded, so the police would come to the flooded house and then they'd say, you flooded all the houses, so you, you're arrested. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah. But he can't possibly know about that. So I don't understand why he doesn't wait for the police in his own house, basically. Or in his treehouse, or whatever. Good point. Good point. Um, Kevin's still home alone, though. Yeah, because um, Marley's fucked off. The police didn't do anything about it. It <laughs> yeah. really is their responsibility at this point. I think all the adults have let him down a bit. Um, but bless him, he leaves milk, carrots, and gingerbread men out for Santa. Oh, mm. yeah. um, we're back to Gus, who's still radiating decency. Uh, he tells his fun- funeral parlour story. That was improvised. Um, uh, Chris Columbus said um, the entire story in the van about John being locked in the funeral parlour with the corpse was improvised. He just made that up on the spot. That was not in the script. I wish there was a way to put more of John in the movie, but it didn't fit the pacing. Catherine O'Hara said we'd start a ridiculous conversation and go as far as we could. Chris told me later how we couldn't use most of it. He laughed and said, you're supposed to be looking for your kid and you're just having a good time with these guys <laughs> in the <a> truck. <laughs> <laughs> and sadly, because of the 23 hours, they ran out of time. And so we don't get a moment where we say goodbye to his character or he says goodbye to the mum. Yeah. Uh, that, the, the, the van just drives off. Um, so uh, shout out to Catherine O'Hara, though, as well here. I think she does a really good job of being believable and sympathetic. Yeah. And funny. Given what's happened, yeah, it's a really good job. Yeah, I think it's a tricky tightrope she walks. Yeah. Uh, it's Christmas morning and it's snowing and Kevin goes looking for mum, but she's still nowhere to be seen. Then mum shows up and we have a lovely moment when she sees him and when he realises. He takes a moment because he's Kevin. Yeah, you, she needs to know. <laughs> <laughs> and then he smiles and embraces her. And then everyone shows up. They're shouting, they're arguing. And it's like that Shakespeare thing where everything has to go back to normal at the end of a Shakespeare play. We're just back to how everything was at the start. Apart from Buzz's being nice. I don't think I like Buzz being nice. Happens in the second film as well. Mm. Um, they find out Kevin went shopping. He got milk, eggs and fabric softener. <laughs> that is quite funny. I still don't even buy fabric softener. Do you not? No, I'm, I'm not very good. It's a life changer. Is it? Mm. You don't use it. What, no one buys it in your house. No. You're in a war of attrition with Georgina so no <laughs> yeah. one will buy it. But Chris, your clothes will become soft and they will smell lovely. Okay. I'm buying some on the way home. Uh, he sees Marley through the window embracing his family and he waves oh. and then we hear Kev, uh, Buzz shouting Kevin what did you do to my room and then because they're chucking everything in this one we wish you a Merry Christmas starts playing Yay! as the credits roll 
Uh, and so that is Home Alone. Lovely. Apparently Chris Columbus said that watching the end of the movie in the theatre was unlike anything I'd experienced as a filmmaker because people were just screaming with laughter. Mm-hmm. It was great. He was also asked by a journalist uh, about how the end of Skyfall is basically Home Alone. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Wow, you can say that, but I can't say that. <laughs> Although my wife did turn to me and say, this is just like Home Alone. <laughs> Straw dogs at Home Alone. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, that that last half hour is the most fun I've ever had in a cinema. Yes. The most enjoyable Same experience I've had in a cinema. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it was just as good the second time. I'm sure I saw this two or three times that Christmas. Um, so it came out the same week as Rocky Five, it? And it was expected to lose the box office battle, but I don't think anyone realised how bad Rocky Five is <laughs> actually going to be. Um, and then it, it promptly spent 12 weeks at number one in the States which is remarkable. Um, before we do the bits, though, I do want to say I did watch a film about five years ago that goes by several names, uh, Deadly Games, Dull Code Santa Claus, Game Over and Hide and Freak. And it's from 1989. It's a French film and it's about a homeless uh, psychopath who gets a job as a store Santa, but then gets sacked for slapping a child. He makes his way to the home of the woman who sacked him, murders her housekeeper, her chef and her dog. But her son who is into action movies and gadgets, fights back with makeshift weaponry and by setting a series of traps for him. And that guy was going to sue um, John Hughes over this because there is a lot of similarities. It's just this is much nastier. It is a horrible film, um, but it's very similar. And then the guy just decided he, he, he couldn't stand up to the big boys, so he gave up. It's not a bad film, but it, it, if you watched it at Christmas, it would spoil Christmas. It's that <laughs> horrible. So, yeah, just an interesting little sideline there. Any more for any more? No. No, it's good. Okay. Me. And oh, and also, obviously, Kevin grows up to be Jigsaw in the Saw movies. <laughs> That's a fact. Uh, Vicky, what was your favourite scene? So, child me, it's all the cartoon burglar stuff. Uh, but grown up me, it is the scene in the church with old man Miley. So, I'm going to stick with grown up me. Lovely. Alex. Daniel Stern's scream when the tarantula crawls on his face. Apparently, uh, that was inspired by Dr. No, um, James Bond, where apparently the only time. James Bond has ever looked really nervous is when the tarantula crawls on his shoulder in Doctor No and they wanted to recreate that, except that in that movie they used a piece of glass. To put you the can see the glass on. in yeah. the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you do it? If It's for your job if someone said you have to have a tarantula on your face. Because he really was. Daniel Stern, it really is on his face. Yeah, yeah. You can tell, but could you? I, I couldn't do it. I'd have to just quit my job. Would you be able to do it? I think so if they were paying me six of eight weeks pay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could, could uh, and I'm going for that scene as well, Alex. It's not just the scream; it's the build up to it. What are you doing? What are you doing, no mob? <laughs> like it's it's just it's all that it's all that stuff around it. So uh, yeah, agree with you there, Alex. Who's your MV? Whatever, most valuable whatever MVW. Uh, D. Danny Warhol is mine who is the little Nero's pizza guy. Okay. I think he's really good. And also I decided to look at his career and I feel he needs a little bit more love Mm -hmm. because here are just some of the roles. So obviously Home Alone, he plays Pizza Boy. Backdraft, Train Passenger, Uncredited. Doc Hollywood, Boy at Fair, Uncredited. Star Trek Generations, Engineering Crewman, Running in Hallway, Uncredited. (laughs) Wait, he's an extra is what you're saying. (laughs) 
or a supporting artist, they're called now. <laughs> yeah. The Net, popcorn vendor, uncredited. What? Yeah, they, they're extras. Mm. Volcano, terrified pedestrian, uned- uncredited. This is not unusual. He's an extra worker. <laughs> I know, but he's so good in this and he's got some lines and I think he should be credited. Sure. He is credited in this. Yeah, he is. What a weird choice, Vicky. Yeah, fine, Macaulay Culkin, obviously. Um, Hurley Burley, motorist, almost hit by Sean Penn, mm. uncredited. Probably a featured extra, but an extra. Teaching Mrs Tingle, one of Helen Mirren's high school students, uncredited. Come on, Alex, haven't you got word to go after this? Yep. Uh, Macaulay Culkin, yes. because obviously, uh, yes, I said it before, when you were a child, you're like, oh, that's me. And now when you're growing up, you're like, what a little cutie. So mm-hmm. yes, him. Uh, I'm going for Troy Brown and Leo Delaney, who were the stuntmen for um, Harry and Marv. Uh, because they are the most important aspect of this film, I think. Chris Columbus says literally three or four times while shooting Home Alone and Home Alone 2, I thought those guys were dead. And the stunt coordinator, Freddie Heiss, says it changed the way people did pratfalls in the movie business. Every comedy for the next 15 years, everybody would call for an interview and say, we all want the Home Alone fall. Mm. So it changed movies and it's what elevates stuff at the end there. And if you could change anything, what would you change... Vicky. I would bring the dad into it a bit more. So I would, I think he does this anyway, but isn't it his dad that's like ragging Kevin a bit about not living in the real world and he's mm-hmm. not capable of anything? So when they come home, apart from finding a gold tooth on the carpet, that's the only hint of, of any mischief has happened. So I would make it clear, I would have his dad be really going at him that he doesn't live in the real world and all this and blah, blah, blah. I'm making a bit of a baddie. And then when the dad gets home, the dad puts it together and understands what has taken place and understands what his son is capable of, but keeps it quiet out of respect, like kind of thing, like you're a man now, my son kind of thing, but understands what he's done. So the rift is healed. Very good. Mm. Alex. Mm. You like that one? I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the scene in the airport when Kate meets John Candy, Catherine O'Hara meets John Candy for the first time, and he's like, he's like, you might have heard of me, you know, the Poker King. Da, 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 da. And at the end, when he offers her uh, a ride at home, I think she should hug him, and she doesn't because I think that would sort of give him the validation he's kind of looking for in that conversation. And I just think it's a weird thing that she doesn't go thank you and like hugs him because I think it would make him feel like the Poker King. Okay. So I think that. I, I mean, or, obviously that was supposed to happen because they were supposed to say goodbye and then she would have hugged him then. Or, so I know they do two Joe Pesci falls down the icy stairs, but I think they miss a trick. When he burns his hand on the door handle and he's in shock and he walks backwards and he should forget that it's icy again and do a third fall, rule of three, sure. I think that would have been great. Yeah. It would have got a laugh from me. Very good. Um, after the credits, Harry and Marv should be in prison watching Angels with Dirty Souls on the telly, realising that all that dialogue was from that film. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's not mine. It's something they wanted to do but didn't. Oh. Um, and that's it for Home Alone. All right, then. So you want to do the quiz on, on Thursday? I do, week. Alex. Let's end end the year with it okay we'll end the year with the quiz right then uh, I will say next week you get a special Christmas week treat as we are putting out our first ever 
Plash Pod Live show recorded at the London Podcast Festival back in September. If you can't remember what the films are that we did, well, we'll let you know on Thursday. But we're <laughs> going to be back before then talking about Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and indeed review us if you have the time. It's a great help. And check in with us on Twitter and Instagram at Clash Pod. Back on Thursday, talking Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Bye-bye. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com.